See.
reviled people that we see when we read through our New Testament is this woman who came into a theological dinner. She wasn't invited. She definitely wasn't the right person to be there. She comes and she washes the feet of Jesus. She anoints his feet. She cries and wipes the tears from his feet with her hair and she kisses his feet. And the other people who are there are looking at her and her actions and Jesus's acceptance of them become a proof to them that Jesus is not a prophet. Because if they knew who this woman was and what it is that she had done, he would not receive this from her. Jesus knows their hearts and he uses her actions as a way to judge their own hearts. 
says, you didn't do anything for me. I came here and you didn't wash my feet. You didn't do any of the things. You didn't greet me. You didn't kiss me. None of the things that should have been offered to me just according to your normal cultural customs. You didn't do any of those for me. But this woman, she came. She hasn't stopped anointing me and blessing me and demonstrating love to me since she got here. Wherever the gospel is told, what she's done will be remembered. We can be one of two people in this story. We can be those who are judging and withholding the worship and the anointing that Jesus is worthy of and that he's due and judge other people and what it is that they're doing. Or we can become the woman and we can join her in her derision. We can join her in her humility. We can join her in the shame that she received from others but we join her in the expression of the worthiness of Jesus and anointing him with whatever it is that we have. This morning, choose to be the woman. Choose to humble yourself because of a recognition of the worthiness of Jesus and that he is the anointed one. And because of that, we anoint him. So over the next few minutes, I encourage you, take a moment with the Lord to behold his glory, behold his holiness, consider who he is, and then begin to anoint him. Anoint him with your own worship, describing worth to him through statements, declarations, worth to him through right decisions and commitments that you make to him. Let's take a few minutes to behold him and to join the woman in anointing Jesus.
Jesus, you're worthy. Now we ask, continue to open our eyes to see more how worthy you are. And Lord, lead us in what it means to anoint you and to bless you, to worship you in every way at all times. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Glad you are here this morning. Radiant kids, you are dismissed. Your room leaders are in the back and they will take you to the rooms. And parents, you can pick up your kids after service lets out in the Radiant Kids ministry area. Um, today, uh, I have a couple group leaders come up. Uh, the Thatchers and then Margaret, you wanna come up here real quick. And we have our groups kicking off next week. And uh, the signups are live right now. I want to say signups went live last week and there was a little hiccup in the system. And so if you encountered an issue um, with finding the groups, that problem is fixed. So I encourage you to try again. Our apologies about that. But um, there, the groups begin next week. And so there's some groups that are still open, have some room in them. And so I just wanted to take a minute to introduce you to some of these leaders and let them share with you a little bit about what their group is about. So Margaret, I'll have you go first. I'm here to talk about the women's group. Uh, we meet, I know, we have so, so much fun. We've been meeting on the first Saturday of every month from 10 to 12, and we meet this uh, Saturday at 10 o'clock sharp. And uh, we usually try to get out at 12, but you know how women are. You know, we like to talk and pray and all those other good things. But I just want to say a few little words about the women's group. We will provide a warm and loving environment and will help you grow deeper in your relationship with God. Uh, my thing just went blank. Can you believe it? <laughs> okay, we will help you build, we will build community and develop long-lasting relationships. I've already seen that in the few months we've started. And so come for fun. We have fun. Last month we made Valentine's. Uh, I didn't do too good. I'm not crafty, so I didn't do too well. But we made and we distributed them to uh, the VA hospital. So uh, I thought it was wonderful. So come for fun, fellowship, prayer, ministry, and to study the word of God and how it applies to your life, okay? Women, I'm looking for all ages, 16 and up. There's no child care. So, uh, so come, just come and enjoy. And I'm looking for all ages, okay? We wanna just be able to, minister to each and every one of our women. So I'm looking forward to seeing you. If you want to sign up, you can sign up online, okay? Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Bill Thatcher. This is my lovely wife, Judy. And we're going to be leading a group on marriage. And it's going to be on Monday nights. It's going to be at our home, about 10 minutes from here, just south of town, off of Laura Road. And um, we're calling it Eight Nights to a Great Marriage. Yeah. Um, we're going to be using a curriculum uh, by Jimmy Evans called Marriage on the Rock. It's, uh, it's a curriculum that helped us in our marriage many years ago. And, huh? Jimmy Evans, yeah. Yeah, so uh, everyone's welcome. Um, 
you know, a married couple is a course or an individual, maybe your, your spouse uh, can't come or wouldn't come to something like this, well, you're still welcome to come. And um, so. <laughs> oh, good. Come. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were just praying about what was on our heart at this season in our lives. And I think one of the things that's very much in our heart is we uh, didn't have a great marriage for over 20 years. And we, um, there's a lot of reasons to all that. But J Jimmy Evans, Marriage on the Rock, and the principles that he shares are um, enduring. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so I would just say, come, and we are still working it, and we'll always be working on the marriage. It's, it's never stagnant, you know, like our relationship with Jesus is never stagnant. So um, come, and also that you'll have prayer support, because um, we're all going through things, and different things, usually. And, um, and it's a beautiful time to get together and encourage each other um, in our walk. And we're, we have far to go um, to be the marriage that God wants us to be, but it's better to be unified <laughs> than to fight each other. And, um, you know, it's a sad thing when two people love Jesus, yet they're not on the same team. And we weren't for very many years. And so I, my prayer is that it would help you to learn to love us, me, to love greater, and um, and to be one. And Satan doesn't want the marriages to make it, and he's a liar, and he's a thief, and he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God's come to give life and life abundant. So, and we believe in miracles. We are a miracle. And I know many marriages that are, that just didn't happen. Yeah, awesome, thank you. And, and I just want to say this, you know, every church kind of has a different way that they do small groups. And uh, for us, our small group leaders, they're pastors. They're people that we just implicitly trust. Uh, none of us are Jesus, so none of us are perfect, but these are people who have lived a life of faithfulness and godliness, and we trust to shepherd you. So uh, can't say enough good about the different group leaders and can't encourage you enough to join a group. And you can go to radiantA2.com under the small groups page, and you can sign, uh, find the groups that are still available and sign up for them there. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open them to Isaiah chapter 58. And we're continuing to talk about fasting today. If this is your first time, sorry. <laughs> but fasting is a really good thing. And hopefully after today, you think fasting is better and, and you want to dig into it a little bit more. And what we talked about in the first week is the basis of understanding what fasting is, is fasting doesn't make you more valuable to God. It makes God and his kingdom more valuable to you. And this is the starting point of fasting. I think oftentimes we get this wrong. And so if you don't understand the entire premise behind fasting and what fasting does and what it produces in you and what you can expect from it, then you become very disappointed with fasting and it doesn't become a part of your life. We usually think of fasting as being a way that we're trying to show God, like I'm so serious about wanting you to do something in my life that I'm willing to make myself miserable. Jesus, I am so serious that I'm going to not eat to show you that you can trust me or you can bless me. That is not a right view of our God. 
Now, I understand why we think that is because most religions would teach you that, is this is the way that you get God's attention, is you have to do something, you have to inflict yourself with pain and with suffering. But that's not the way our God is, that's the way the prophets of Baal were. When they had the showdown, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal, one of the things they start doing is they start like cutting themselves, like calling on Baal, like, notice me, Baal, come and do something. And Elijah's just mocking them and having a good time at their expense. But our God, already has his eye on you. He already loves you. He already sees you as valuable. Fasting isn't going to make you more valuable to him. What fasting does is make him seem more valuable to us as we take the time and humble ourselves and begin to put our focus and our attention on him. And then fasting does this, or this is a part of why fasting is so important for us, is because fasting is a vital part of the way God's kingdom comes to earth. Uh, it took me a long time to figure this out. Actually, it took Isaiah 58 for me to figure this part of fasting out, is that fasting is an important way that God brings his kingdom to this earth. And without fasting, I believe there are a lot of things and a lot of ways that God wants to use you to live out and to demonstrate his kingdom and to partner with you in bringing his kingdom. But without fasting, we don't put ourselves in the place of where God can do that in and through us. And God speaks about this in Isaiah chapter 58. And uh, it's the prophet Isaiah who God is using to call his people back to himself. They've rejected God. They've turned away from him. They've worshiped other gods. They're suffering some of the consequences of this. And Isaiah is calling them back to faithfulness to God. He's continuing to, to, to be a voice, calling people to remember their covenant faithfulness and how good God's been to them. And so this is what God says through Isaiah, beginning in verse 1. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and they seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and you cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. 
Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and then you will be known as rebuilders of walls and a restorer of homes. I love the end of that passage because I think every single one of our hearts can connect to this. We want to know the glory of the Lord in ever-increasing measure. We want to see the glory of the Lord in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We want to see the glory of the Lord in Celine and Milan, Dexter. We want to see the glory of the Lord in Southeast Michigan. We want to be those who others look at and say, these are the people who have rebuilt the deserted ruins. These are the people who are the rebuilders of homes. That should stir up something inside of every single one of us. If the spirit of the living God is in you, this kind of an imagery and this kind of an imagination of what's possible and what God's calling us to, that should do something inside of you that makes your heart leap and jump and want to attach to that. The problem is we don't know how to get to that point. And so this is the imagery of this and what God's calling his people to, that's what they want, but they find themselves in a place that is so far from that. Instead of being the rebuilders of the deserted ruins of the cities and rebuilders of homes, they are those who are losing homes, homes, homes whose cities are being destroyed, people who are going out and being occupied by other nations. Say, God, this is what we want, but you're not doing it. And so we're fasting, Lord, like we're, we're, we're making ourselves miserable and, and we're wearing burlap and we're putting ashes on ourselves. God, like, like, look, we know what you want to do. We want that as well. And so we're, we're trying to get your attention. We're trying to get you to do something. And this passage starts, as many passages in the prophets do, with people complaining to God. Now, we've been doing it, like, but you're not doing your part. We've been doing everything that we should do, but you are completely failing to remember your covenant with us. And God answers them. And he tells them that the reason why is because you're fasting to please yourselves. The reason you're fasting isn't really about growing in your beholding me. The reason that you're fasting isn't about coming into this place of where you encounter me and I become more valuable to you and you see the beauty of my kingdom and you want to partner with me and join me in seeing my kingdom come and my will being done on this earth. He says, the reason you're fasting doesn't have anything to do with me. The reason you're fasting is to please yourself. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is are you fasting for the right reason? When we fast, are we fasting for the right reason? Are you fasting because you want to see God and you want to behold him? You want to, to have him increase in value and in beauty and worth in your own eyes. You want to see and to understand his kingdom and life in his kingdom. Or are you fasting because you're trying to get God to bless your kingdom? 
And God says there's two ways that he knows that they're fasting for the wrong reasons. And we can apply this to ourselves. How do we know if we're fasting for the right reasons or not? Number one, what is your desire? Why are you fasting? Is it because you're trying to get God to bless something that you're doing, trying to get him to bless something that you want to do? Or are you fasting because you want to behold him? He says, you were fasting for the wrong reason. It was never about me. It was never about my kingdom. You were fasting for you. And then number two, what are you doing? And by that, I mean, how are you living your life? God says that when you were fasting, even while you're fasting, you're supposed to be seeking after me and my kingdom, what you're doing is you're oppressing your own workers. The people who are working for you, you're mistreating them. You're cheating them on their wages. You're overworking them. You're not being just towards them. And God, when you read several places in the scriptures, he's very, like, he's, he gets angry about this. He does not want his people to join with the oppressors. He says, if you're oppressing other people, even while you're fasting and putting your focus on me, uh, you're fasting for the wrong reason. And then he says, fighting and quarreling is this other thing that he brings up. Even while you're fasting, you're fighting and you're quarreling with other members of the family of God. Now, these two things are antithetical to God's kingdom. Oppression and uh, fighting and quarreling. These are things that are not part of the kingdom of God. And what God's looking for is for us to demonstrate his justice and the justice of his kingdom through the way that we live our lives, through our actions. And I'm not talking about justice according to progressives or justice according to conservatives, because God's justice, the kingdom justice, is rejected by progressives and conservatives. God's justice is different. And God's called us to live out his kingdom justice here and now. There's no way that you can demonstrate the kingdom of God when you're oppressing others. Remember, that's who we are. We're a priest. We're supposed to be the example to the rest of the world of what God's kingdom looks like. And so when we're oppressing others, we're not demonstrating God's kingdom. What we're demonstrating is the structures and the power and the authority systems of the fallen world around us. When we're fighting and quarreling, uh, what we're doing is we're actually going against one of the evidences of the spirit of the living God being in us. Jesus says, others are going to know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer before his arrest, he says, God, Father, it's my will that they would be one, even as we are one. The intimacy that the Father and the Son have together is the intimacy that he's praying that we have together as sisters and brothers in the family of God. This is a demonstration of God's kingdom and what he's like. So when we're fighting, fighting and quarreling with each other, we're showing that we aren't disciples of Jesus, but in fact, we've been discipled by the devil. We're not demonstrating the culture of the kingdom of heaven. We're demonstrating the fallen and sinful domains of this earth. God is serious about the way that we have our desires set when we come to fast, and he's serious about the way that we are living our lives. And if we aren't 
having starting with the right desires, being, God, I'm here to encounter you and to see your beauty and your glory and your holiness and to see what your kingdom is like and then learn to live out your kingdom everywhere I go. If that isn't your desire, then you're going to end up being just really hungry and miserable as a result of your fasting. There will be no benefit to it. If you're going to continue to live out unjustly, then you are not going to have any benefit from your fasting other than being hungry and miserable and tired. If that's the way it's gonna be, don't even bother to fast. But if you are going to fast, and we should fast as people who are a part of his kingdom, we have to make sure that we're fasting for the right reasons. He will not pour out his blessing on us when we're fasting if we are going to live in a way that we're going to take his blessing and use it to oppress others and to stir up division and dissension amongst others. When we look at uh, who does God say to kick out of the church, it's a pretty small group of people. Divisive people, that's like one of the top two. He says, these people, you got to get out of the church because they will destroy everything that it is that I'm trying to do in my body. God takes this very seriously. So when we fast, make sure that you are fasting for the right reasons. And you can know if you're fasting for the right reasons by checking what is my desire in fasting and then how am I actually living? Am I living in a way that demonstrates his kingdom or am I asking him to bless me in my sinfulness in the way that I would continue to oppose his kingdom through my life? But if you're fasting for the right reasons, this is what happens. Right motivations in fasting lead to changes in us that produce kingdom actions. And when you set your heart to humble yourself before him and to seek after him, to behold his glory and his holiness, to see him as even more worthy than you saw him to be yesterday. When you set your heart to see the beauty and the goodness of his kingdom and that becomes your desire, God grants that desire. And when you behold him in even greater holiness and majesty and glory, something becomes stirred up inside of your heart. And it makes you want to be more like him. As you see him more clearly, you want to be more like him. As you begin to understand his heart, his nature, and his character, something inside of you makes you want to be more like that in your own heart, your own nature, your own character. When you put yourself into a place of humbling yourself through fasting and seeking after him and putting your focus on him, something happens inside of us. The Holy Spirit in us begins to change our hearts and the very desires that we have begin to change. We begin to want the things that Jesus wants. We begin to have the heart that Jesus himself has. And when you begin to have the heart of Jesus and you begin to have the desires of Jesus put inside of you, it now begins to change the way that you live your life. And so the result of us fasting rightly, meaning that we have the right desire, we're coming after him and fasting for the right reasons. And now we're putting himself in the place of where our hearts are being changed by him in our fasting. The way that we live changes. And this is what God says happens when we fast rightly. He says in verse six, no, this is a kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. 
Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. So I feel like that last one's the hardest one for me. <laughs> like, let's edit that one out. <laughs> but when we fast rightly, when we encounter God in our fasting and our hearts are changed by him and our heart begins to become the heart of Jesus and our desires begin to become the desires of Jesus, the way we live and our actions are changed. And this is the overflow of that. We begin to live out the kingdom of God here on this earth. when it comes to this, there's two approaches that you're going to take. Is you can have this, I think most of us would hear these things like, yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, these are good things. Your politics are probably discipling you somewhat in this and what that looks like. You're like, some words become like, ah, or like, yes, like that stirs up in you. And some words might be like, ah, I don't know about that. But Holy Spirit in us brings us back so that our politics aren't discipling it, but so that the very words that proceed from the mouth of God are discipling us and changing us and giving us the right motivations. Because what God's calling us to do is he's calling us out of the antichrist systems of the world. And he's calling us into his kingdom. He's calling us to partner with him in demonstrating and living out his kingdom here and now on the earth. The fullness of it will come one day. There is always going to be injustice. There's always going to be impression, uh, oppression. But it shouldn't exist in the church. It shouldn't be what we find in the body of Christ when we gather together. It shouldn't be what the church is advocating for. Oppression and injustice shouldn't be what the church is known for and what we're advancing. We have to come back to the place where we see what's God's desire for this world. What's God's desire for the way that he's called us to live? Not just when he returns and all things are made new, but right now we are new creations. Right now his kingdom is here and it is advancing across the face of the earth to the degree that we will submit ourselves to him and faithfully partner with him. But here are the approaches that I typically see in the church when it comes to this is one, we ignore it or oppose it. It's like, you know, this particular injustice or oppression doesn't really affect me, so it's not on my radar, I don't really care. Uh, one of the hardest books I've ever read, and it wasn't even a book, but uh, Martin Luther King's Letters from a Birmingham Jail. As a white pastor, that was brutal. But ignorance had made it so that what was on the heart of God wasn't on my heart. But when we fast, we begin to get the heart of God. We can oppose it. Uh, why is it that when Martin Luther King was, was doing all of his works, white churches were opposing him? Because they had joined in the antichrist systems of the world that they had been discipled by. Instead of looking at what it is that God says justice and what his kingdom is like, they had been discipled by the antichrist Systems that were around them. The church can ignore things because that particular oppression isn't front and center in our life. It doesn't affect us. But when we fast, we get a heart for those who aren't us. We get a heart for those who are suffering and who are on God's heart. And when we fast, we are confronted with our own sinfulness. 
and God begins to speak to us, as we see his glory and we see what his kingdom is like, we begin to see our own hearts and where sin continues to exist in us and where we're living in ways that are opposed to his kingdom. Fasting does that inside of us. Or two, we try to bring about the kingdom of God without the king. You can see, how many times have you seen someone or even yourself and, and they become aware of some unjust, oppressive situation. It's like, this is not how God's kingdom is. And there's a righteous indignation and anger that's stirred up inside of you. And you, like, God's calling me to be a part of bringing his kingdom to this situation. And we can't all do everything. And that's why it's beautiful that we have a big, beautiful body with different giftings and different things that are on our hearts and different callings. And he's, he's really put something on your heart. I'm willing to give my life for this cause. I'm willing to lay down my life and to put my prayers and my giving and my serving to see God's kingdom come in this area. And you can make the list and you get the system and you make all the plans and you start going after it. But what happens is we do it on our own. We do it without continuing to remain in this place of fasting and coming before the Lord. Because the strength that you have is not enough. But when you fast and you humble yourself and you put yourself before him and seeking after him, you receive his strength for you and his strength is enough. You don't have the wisdom that you need to do what you need to do to partner with the Lord in this area on your own. But when you fast, you get the mind of Christ. You put yourself in a place of where you're hearing from him and you're receiving direction and next steps from him and what he wants you to do. When you fast, you keep putting yourself in the place of receiving his strength. You put yourself in the place of receiving his encouragement. Oftentimes what happens is people who are incredibly passionate and incredibly committed, because they're so driven, they pull away from the Lord. And they start doing it on their own. And when we start doing it on our own, disconnected from the Lord through prayer and through fasting and seeking after him, we're just weighed down by the burden that we have. And there's so much work to do and so much has to be accomplished. As you disconnect yourself from the Lord, you become discouraged. You become worn out and tired. Even Elijah, after like, his incredible encounter with the Lord, he runs away and he's like, Lord, just kill me now. Like I give up. He's depressed and he just wants to be done with it. And he had to go into a season of just waiting on the Lord and receiving from the Lord so that he could be strengthened to fulfill what God had called him to. That happens to us. The work overwhelms us. The burden overwhelms us because we're not remaining connected to him as our strength, as our provision, as our encourager, as our companion in all of this. Fasting keeps you connected to him. And the other thing that happens is when you start advancing his kingdom, you become a target for the enemy. He starts trying to do things like stir up pride inside of you bringing temptation your way to become faithless to the Lord, to begin to make little compromises here and there for the greater good. And you end up falling into a place of where you burn out, you disqualify yourself, there's a sin that develops inside of you. That's what happens when we try to bring about the kingdom without the king. Fasting keeps you connected to the king. Fasting keeps you in a place of partnering with the king. You're not in charge. You're a partner. He's the senior partner. 
You're just joining him. You've heard his call, like Isaiah. He was just minding his own business one day, and the Lord appears to him in all of his glory and calls him and sets him apart, marks him and shapes him for the rest of his life to fulfill his call. But Isaiah continues to live a life of fasting and prayer and seeking after the Lord and remaining connected to him so that he can see God's kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven because it is always accompanied by the presence of King Jesus. When we fast, it keeps us connected to our king. And it keeps being a recentering point for our hearts to make sure that the kingdom that we are partnering with and the kingdom we're advancing and living out really is the kingdom of God. And we will need constant course corrections because we have our own sin issues, we have our own hurts and traumas, we have our own discipling from the world around us that will make it so we will give in to sin and we will become oppressors and bring injustice in different ways. But when we continue to live a life of fasting, it keeps connecting us to King Jesus and beholding him, what he is like and what his kingdom is like so we keep living that out. Fasting keeps us yoked to Jesus. And when we're yoked to Jesus, two things happen. He provides the strength and he provides the direction that you need. Do not yoke yourself to a system of this world. Do not yoke yourself to an ideology of this world or to a political system. And I know it's like an election year, so we gotta see the kingdom come by voting for this person. Good luck. The kingdom doesn't come through any man other than the man, Jesus the Christ. And to the degree that we are willing to join ourselves to him, yoke ourselves to him, partner with him, and seeing his kingdom come and his will being done here on this earth as it is in heaven, because we've yoked ourselves to him and we're receiving his direction and we're receiving his power. And the degree to which we will see his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth before his return is directly related to how submitted we will live. And when I first decided to follow Jesus, I was so excited about him. And you remember that, that first time you had this revelation of how good Jesus is, how much he loves you, how much he loves every single person on the face of this earth, how good his kingdom is. You remember that? The only thing you wanted was to know him and to see others know him. You wanted to see his kingdom here on earth. Now what happened to me is probably common to everybody else. Time passes. It takes a lot longer than you thought it would take to see his kingdom come and his will be done in your own heart, let alone anybody else's around you. You can become discouraged. You start to compromise a little bit. You get distracted. You have class, you have jobs, you have relationships, you have Netflix. Like, there's all these distractions that start pulling us away from the feet of Jesus. And that fire that burned in your heart 
starts to grow cold. That's the common story for us. But that's not the way it has to be. There's going to be seasons where the fire's burning hot, and there are going to be seasons where you start to see the fire start to wane a little bit. You know what you do when the fire starts to wane? You throw another log on the fire. You throw a log on that fire through fasting. Saying no to the distractions, saying no to everything else, and saying, God, I'm going to put my focus on you. I'm going to behold you. I'm going to get greater vision for what you're like, how worthy you are. I'm going to get greater vision for what your kingdom is like. And it's going to stir up more fire in me as my heart is changed to become more like you. And that's going to be the fuel that I need to live a life continuing to seek after you and living passionately for you because there's going to be a million opportunities in our life to break our faithfulness to Jesus. There are going to be a million opportunities in our life to become discouraged. The timeline is going to cause us to be discouraged. The impact that we can measure and see with our own eyes is never going to match up with what you want. But we can't judge ourselves based on what it is that we see. The only way that we can judge ourselves is am I being faithful to Jesus. And you will find the assurance and the, the support that you need from him and the affirmation that you need as you wait on him. And there's no better way to do that than through fasting. Fasting is a vital part of the way God's kingdom comes to earth because fasting keeps us in a place of humble partnership with Jesus, where we're beholding him and beholding his kingdom, our hearts are being changed to become like his heart, and that changes the way that we live here on earth, and it becomes like heaven. But we have to fast. Lord, we love you. And we're so grateful that you first loved us. And God, I ask that you would do something in our hearts today, Lord, as Radiant Church. Would you come and meet with us and would you do something inside of our hearts to capture our attention, to capture our imaginations, Lord, and to stir up a fire inside of our hearts that is for you and for you alone. God, I ask that through fasting, you would cause us to see you in new ways, that we would just marvel at your glory, that as we fast and we encounter you, Lord, that we would see you as beautiful and high and lifted up, that we would see you as the object of all of our desire and all of our affection, Lord, that it would stir up greater levels of affection for you, it stir up greater levels of trust and faith in you, Lord. It would stir up something inside of us, Lord, as we see your kingdom 
them and what it's like and how good it is that our hearts would be arrested and we would spend the rest of our life learning more and more how to live yoked to you, how to live in your presence, how to partner with you in demonstrating what your kingdom is like, God. And that the way that we live would accurately reflect the life of Jesus that we've been called to. Lord, that as we fast, we truly would see your kingdom come and your will be done in our own hearts, God, that we would see that happening in our families, that we would see that happening in this church, Jesus. Oh, would you do that in this local gathering, leading us into all that you've called us to be and all that you've called us to do as a demonstration of your kingdom. God, that you would do that in the church in our city. Oh, Lord, we love the church in our city and we pray for her in every place where two or three or more are gathering, Lord, would you show up and would you honor them with your presence and bless them and would they hear your voice calling them to greater faithfulness to you, Jesus? Would you be high and lifted up and exalted in every single son and every single daughter in our city, Jesus, and in this area, that reviving in our hearts would come connected to your presence. And Lord, that you would stir us up to pray and to fast so that we can partner with you, God. God, teach us to fast. Teach us to persist in our fasting. Lord, teach us to have the right motivations in our fasting. And Lord, we trust in the reward of our fasting that we will find you, that we will behold you, that our hearts will be transformed and changed to become the heart of Jesus. And the way that we live in these few short years that we have in this life will accurately demonstrate who you are to the world that's around us and that their hearts would be captured by your kingdom. Lord, that they would respond to the proclamation of the kingdom because I've seen the demonstration of it. Lord, we pray for the nations to come into the family of God as we continue to position ourselves through fasting. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, next week we're going to talk about some of the practicals of how do you actually fast. Um, a couple of weeks of some theology on it, why we fast. And next week we'll talk about how you can implement this into your life. And now, my favorite part of the service is where, uh, as we're dismissing, uh, there's two choices you can make. Like, you can go out, get some coffee, go home, do other stuff, and that's a fine choice. But there's an even better choice, I believe, for you, is that right now the family of God is gathered. Right now, the priests of heaven are gathered together. And they have... Every single one of us have gifts that the Lord has put in us, experiences the Lord's put in us, an ability to hear the Lord's voice. And we were created to minister to each other. And so I would encourage you, stick around and join a group where you're going to minister to each other by being able to be open and transparent about what it is that's going on in your heart. Is there a need that you have? Is there a situation that you're facing? And knowing that it's in confidence and that it's in the love of family allowing other people 
to be able to partner with Jesus to minister to you. I have been so blessed by the way that God showed up and ministered to me through his sons and daughters. It's blessed my life incredibly. And so many of the blessings that I used to not receive was because I wasn't willing to receive what God wanted to do through someone else. And then the other thing is this. Maybe you don't have anything right now that's real pressing, but you are a minister. You are someone who can minister to your brother or sister that's in the group with you. There are gifts that the Lord has put in you. And so I'd encourage you, be bold. And I know, uh, you know I'm an introvert by nature, and like this kind of stuff used to freak me out. Uh, so I get that. If you're there and you're like, I would rather have a root canal than be in a prayer group, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but I can't deny the blessing that's come to my life because I've put myself in a position to minister to others and to receive their ministry. And you know, it's like the Grinch, you know, like when he engages in Christmas, like his heart grows a couple sizes. When you engage in ministering to others and receiving ministry from them, even if it's something that's not your thing, well, it is your thing because you're a minister, you're a priest in the family of God, but your heart actually grows for it. And so I'd encourage you, step out in faith, learn how to receive ministry and learn how to minister to each other in a safe place. Build relationship, be the family of God. I love you all. God bless. We'll see you next week. Let's pray.